0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for a weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. So this week, we're on our fourth week of our Reset uh, series. Next week we have... Uh, An incredible retreat, a time to integrate all that we've been learning, and then we'll have uh, four more weeks after that of uh, more reset teaching. But today, I want to talk about how when we start changing and we want to change, what is it that sabotages us? What is it that makes it to where we get part of the way through the circle and we just don't quite complete the change? When I was uh, invited to go to Columbia back in the 1990s, I got to go in 1997 to Cali, Columbia, during what was one of the greatest moves of God that I've ever read about, heard about, or experienced. We were were doing uh, all-night prayer meetings in stadiums with 50,000 people. There was Christian concerts where 20,000 people were coming out just to worship the Lord in stadiums. The Spirit of God was so thickly present in Kali, which, if you know Kali, Kali was the drug capital of Colombia, And uh, the Lord was moving there in a way that uh, where sin abound, abounded, grace abounded even more. And getting to be a part of that was just an amazing, an amazing experience. And one night, I was preaching in a church. They had about maybe six, 700 people there And after I preached, I called for people to come forward for prayer. And about 300 people came forward for prayer. And something happened that was just supernatural. Uh, Though I could speak Spanish, my Spanish is not that fluent, but suddenly I could understand everything they were saying. And I could pray anything I needed to pray. And then the Lord took it another step. If they had a pain in their body, I had the pain. And I would pray, and when the pain would leave me, the pain would leave them. And out of the 300 people, every single person that had sickness was healed. Every single person, yeah, it was amazing. Every single person got filled with the Holy Spirit in tangible ways. They had what I call the Holy Spirit beauty treatment. They came up ugly, they left pretty. <laughs> There were people there, there were uh, drug traffickers who came, who were big in, the, in the, the drug trade. They saw the spirit of God. Some of them pushed through the whole crowd and said, I want the Jesus that I'm seeing right here. And they got on their knees and gave their lives to Christ right there, they gave up their, their life in the drug trafficking. It was one of the most amazing nights that I've ever, I've ever had. And every, every so often, I would just have to stop because I would just be filled with this sense of my own unworthiness, but I'd also be, be captured by the compassion and the love that the Lord had for the people. And it just was an amazing, amazing experience. So when I began to tell this story, at first I just gave Jesus all the glory and all the credit, but then I began to make Mike a little bigger in the story. And I you know, I would say, you know, I prayed this, and I felt this, and this happened, and I started talking about the drama of my own experience and everything. And Jesus got a little bit smaller, and I got a little bit bigger. And I went into a six-month depression, one of the worst depressions I've ever experienced in my life. I was so low, I just could not, I couldn't do anything, really. So eventually, I went to a trusted older counselor, pastor, and I said, look, something is just wrong. And it all seemed to start when I was in college. And he began to pray for me, and he listened to the Lord really carefully. And he said something that just just was like an arrow to my heart. He said, God says, you stole his glory. Now, I'm a Bible student, been one my whole life. And one thing that God says, I won't share my glory with no one else. It's one of the worst of things you can do. And I just felt the blood drain out of my whole body, and I left that prayer wondering if I even wanted to live because I, I was so disappointed in myself. And I went back to the hotel. I was at a conference. Went back to the hotel. Went to, it was a day's end. They had a Bible. I played Christian roulette with the Bible. I'm a Bible. Now look, I'm a professional. Don't do this at home. If you ever do it, you realize normally you just turn to the Psalms. Okay. You know, but I flipped the Bible open. It went to John 15. My eyes fell on the verse that says, You are already cleansed by the words I have spoken to you. And it was like the ink came off the page and went into my heart. And suddenly, not only was I cleansed, but I, I, had, I had energy. I had a new perspective. Here's what had happened my pride, my pride, had sabotaged my potential. My spiritual pride, my sinful pride, had sabotaged my potential. I had seen what God can do with a yielded life. But because of spiritual pride, I could not yield the glory to him. I had to have some glory for me. And what I'm... Going to go after with you today is that all of us have this issue of spiritual pride, issue of sinful pride. Look at look at what James has to say. Now, it's important that you realize that James was the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. It was birthed by Pentecost, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You would think this would be a decent church. But by the time you read this, you realize it's just like every other church. (laughs) One time I passed a church in Atlanta called Perfect Church. I was, no, go look it up. It's called the Perfect Church. I don't know what membership requirements are, but uh, it's called the Perfect Church. That's why I kept driving. But here's the first church. I mean, it's not the first Presbyterian, first, it's the first church. And it is one mess when you read this. So let's read this together and we'll all feel better about ourselves (laughs) by comparison. All right, so this is James 4, beginning of verse 1. Uh, I like it when you read out loud with me. So let's read together. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Adulterers. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says, God yearns jealously, spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So the first church is just about like every church. Conflicts, disputes, wanting things that other people have. But the issue here that we have to get at is that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the enemy of the change in your heart, the saboteur of change, is sinful pride. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to share with you what's been helpful to me in understanding pride and why pride is so difficult to get rid of. So the biblical concept of pride is really based on two realities that you and I live in a fallen world And we live in this fallen world with our own broken selves, our own sinful selves. So the Bible says that there are two, there are two characteristics of sinful self. The one is that we are glory hungry. And the second is that we are glory empty. So this is the heart of pride. It's really this 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 aspect that whether you like it or not, being a human, you are glory hungry. But if you try to fill that hunger by yourself, for yourself, you will find that you are glory empty. And the more glory empty you are, the more you tend to try to siphon that glory from everything and everybody around you. Now, that glory hunger is not a bad thing. It's just that when you're a glory empty, you don't know how to fill the emptiness. So you go for whatever it is that is in your way or that is presented to you. So here's one thing that you have to know is this is this glory hunger and this glory emptiness is dominating when you are trying to get a consist, consistent sense of self. And you start, when, you, when you're born, you start going, who am I? And of course, you don't say, well, I'm glory hungry and I'm glory empty. <laughs> but you are. So even unconsciously, you are from you know, your childhood, you're trying to say, where can I get my glory? Because I'm glory hungry and I'm glory empty. And the way the human brain develops is the first 11 years, you have no sense of yourself apart from what people tell you about yourself. So for about 11 years, you are developing your sense of your glory by what people say to you. So, you know, the negative resonates with you far more than the positive. So there's a there's an aspect where this glory hunger is being met by negative criticism, sometimes rejection, sometimes outright cursing. And so the the glory hunger never goes away, but the glory emptiness can almost feel like you're less than zero. Are you tracking with me a little bit here? So what is it that that glory hunger is really about? Well, it's really about what is permanent. What can I count on that will not go away? But it's also about what is beautiful or, or what's pure, what has great value, and what you know, what's heavy enough, what's weighty enough to withstand anything that life throws at you. And if you think about it, in your first 11 years, very little of what's going on in your life is permanent. Very little is beautiful. Very little is valuable. I mean, um, my little granddaughter son, I, you know, Amazon is brilliant they sent her they sent her a catalog of toys. You can't get her to read anything, but you can get her to read the Amazon catalog of toys. So I'm on FaceTime going, I want, she's going, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. I said, and Lisa goes, you can have three things. She says, but I want them all. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm old and, and we didn't have stuff like that, but we used to watch, we used to watch cartoons on Saturday morning and I wanted Everything. That was advertised on Saturday morning. Only if if you remember when you would get them on Christmas, the boxes were more fun than the toys. (laughs) And as soon as you got it, you wanted something else because it was glory empty and you are glory hungry. Can you just, would it be all right if you meant that out loud with me? Say it with me. I I am glory empty. But I am am glory-hungry. See, if if the, the hunger for your glory is met by anything that's not permanent, not beautiful, not pure, not valuable, not weighty, then guess what? It'll never be beautiful enough. It'll never be worth enough, and it'll always be subject to death and decay. So we live in this world where we have this issue of sinful pride, and the world itself cannot at all satisfy the hunger that we have. Our lives are wasted trying to accumulate glory, and the Bible teaches that all we can attain is vain glory or fool's gold. You see, but here's here's the bad news. This is what James is saying. We can even try to accumulate glory for ourselves while trying to make ourselves holy because we'll have a whole religious vain glory to satisfy our glory hunger. And what happens is we start striving for perfection and we, we we try to have this achievement and we have this glory that we can show to other people. For how many years, growing up in the church, everybody came to church scrubbed up. Everybody wore their best clothes. Everybody, you know, every child looked like they had came out of a catalog. I mean, all of that. And their lives were total chaos. Whatever they drove in on the way here, there was a fight all the way to church. You know, the f- husband's fuming because everybody's late. You know, the wife's upset because the husband didn't help with the kids. There was all of this stuff, but they showed up at church and they were the, they were the picture of perfection. And it was totally bogus. You know what it meant? They were glory hungry, but they were glory empty, but they were going to use religious glory to try to fill the emptiness. And they come in and they speak the cliche God is good all the time, all the time as God is good, but they don't believe it because they don't live it. You see, if God is good all the time, you can be messy. If God is good all the time, you don't have to be scrubbed up, you can be real. And you don't have to fake perfect because you're not perfect. The gospel is not for perfect people. It's for people who need forgiveness and who are glory empty, but no, they can't fill the glory hunger with religion. See, humility is absolutely important to change. Without humility... We continue to make change self centered. And God centeredness is the only way that change can really happen. Going to the root spiritually of our issues takes courage. But here's the thing we never explore our struggles alone. God has known that you're glory empty, He knows that you're glory hungry. See, not only has God himself experienced our troubles, he is with us through the spirit here and now. L- listen to some of the things that the spirit of the Lord says through his word. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. You know what that means, though, friends? That means you have to, by faith, realize you need to be redeemed. That means that you do not have glory, but you can be redeemed in such a way that you become glory-filled. Then you have to be honest enough to say, I'm going through the waters, and I'm not going to be able to do this by myself. And I'm passing through the rivers, and I'm, they're not gonna overwhelm me, but I'm not gonna deny that I'm going through the rivers. I'm in a fire, but I'm not gonna be burned because what's in me is pure gold, and gold gets more refined with fire. But you see, you have to admit, I'm going through the waters, I'm going through the rivers, I'm in the fire. Because if you come in and go, it's all fine. You're lying. Then you've got vain glory, not real glory. I mean, look what, this, look what Jesus said on the night that he, before he died, the night he was betrayed. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Whoa, Jesus, why did you have to say spirit of truth? Right? Because, see, if, if I'm based in my life on vainglory, I'm not basing it on truth. So, therefore, that spirit who wants to help me is going to help me by revealing my fantasies. He's going to help me by not resourcing my idolatry. He's going to help me by making me have the courage to admit where I have stolen his glory and not not giving the glory to him or getting the get the glory from him so jesus says we have a great counselor already calls him the spirit of truth and jesus says he is with us forever i love this there's two there's two greek words here that are so important the first one is when he says another i'm going to give you another what he means by that i'm going to give you someone just like me I know that this is hard to believe, but it's actually better to be you than to be the disciples. Because you see, they just had Jesus in in physical form and they had to share him. You have the fullness of Jesus in spiritual form living inside the walls of your life and you don't share him with anybody. He's all yours and you're all his. You, you and I often say, well, if we'd lived in those times, we would have believed in all this stuff. You live in the best of times. Of course, if you lived back then, you're dead. So this is the best of times. <laughs> I always hear people, oh, I want to go back to the good old days. Well, yeah, you'd be dead. So It's always funny. But somehow I can't get across to most Christians, this is the best time to live. You have the fullness of Christ living in you within the walls of your life. You don't share him with anybody. He shares all of himself with you. You can share all of yourself with him. He's another just like Jesus. Jesus says, it's better for me to go to the Father because I'm going to send you this other one. But then he also uses the word paraclete, which is a word that that's hard to sum up because it's such a powerful, it's the one who comes alongside of you. And it's the idea of a defense attorney or advocate. It's the idea of counselor, one who, who shares the very heart of God, who knows your heart, knows the heart of the Father, shares that with you. And he's also the comforter. But here, here is why I, I wanted you to think about the Holy Spirit as your protector and your provider. Because you see, that's what your pride has done up till now. You see, you have this need, you have this glory hunger, you have this need to get a consistent sense of self that you can present yourself in some way to people that say, I matter. So who is it or what is it that protects and provides so that you matter? Well, that's this thing called pride. Pride is your natural protector Because think about it, when people offend you, what do you say? You hurt my feelings, or you hurt me, or you disappointed me, or you betrayed me, whatever. But you see, really and truly, they didn't hurt your feelings. You can't hurt joy. They hurt your ego. They hurt what you believed was self because they criticized what you had presented. So what rises up isn't just self, because self in that moment is wounded, what rises up is pride. And pride says, I'm going to protect my view of myself. And pride, pride says, I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide this glory. I'm going to show everybody I'm, I'm smarter than, or I'm stronger than, or I'm more competitive than, or I'm whatever it is I need to be in order to prove that I matter, that I'm permanent, that you can't, you can't get rid of me. And so, see, the glory hunger and the glory empty has this protector called pride. And one of the things you have to understand is you will continue to base your life on pride until you realize, I don't need to. As long as you think you have to protect yourself, pride will be there as long as you think you have to provide the glory for yourself, pride will be there. You can say to you blue in the face, I renounce pride, but till you renounce your need for pride right. and fill that need with something else that will satisfy the glory hunger and will stop you being glory empty. Because here's the thing, no matter how Well you compete, no matter how well you structure your image of yourself, there'll always be somebody who doesn't like you. We did a survey one time in the church, and and this is just typical, okay? We did a survey of how many people liked me. And it was 89% liked me, and 11 didn't. I'm not sure why they stay. Bagels, there you go. It was, yes yeah, it's true, it's 99 percent on the bagels. But you can understand, it's like, even when you try your best, even when you try to love with all your heart, even when you try to do everything right, there'll be still 10 percent who will say, "You don't have any glory. You don't matter. You're not beautiful. You're not weighty enough for me to care. So you see, as long as it's pride, then what other people think about you will be everything. Because that's how you started. For 11 years, if there was glory in your life, it was because other people saw it. If there was any feeling of that glory hunger, it was because other people said, way to go. And until you say, I don't need that because I have another source. I have a helper. I have an advocate. I have a counselor. I have a comforter who, even when they don't like me, he likes me. You see, the Spirit of Christ knows you all the way to the bottom and he rejects you not at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus was rejected so that you will never be rejected. Are you tracking with me in this? Yes. Yes. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is in every believer's life. In other words, where you were glory hungry, he has come and made his residence. And where you were glory empty, he has brought the glory of Christ right into the walls of your life. But you have to decide, I need that more than I need any other way to satisfy this hunger. Tim Chester says this, the more persuaded I've become that it comes down to one of two things, a love of self or a love of sin. It's not a lack of discipline or knowledge or support. These all matter, but the number one reason why people don't change is pride, closely followed by hating the consequences of sin but actually still loving the sin itself. Another writer that helped Lisa and I write this series was Ed Welch, and he says this, perhaps the person is mad at himself for repeating the same sin over and over again. This is actually a veiled form of pride that assumes he is capable of doing good in his own power. He is minimizing his spiritual inability apart from God's grace. See, I I, I got to get this point across. It doesn't matter if you're a church-going person or not. You could still be glory hungry and glory empty, but you're trying to fill it with religious glory. And so therefore, you're just so angry. I should be further along is a statement of pride. I shouldn't be falling to this sin again and again is a statement of pride. Because it's saying, I should be more powerful than other people who fall to this sin. I should be more holy than people who fall to this sin. See, when when we say things like, Christians never, that's a prideful statement. And yet we do this to each other and we do it to ourselves. We have the access to real glory. Do you know what? When you really surrender to the Holy Spirit and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're more beautiful than you'll ever be. Because it's not just your beauty anymore, it's His. Do you know when you really believe and you say, He's my protector and my provider, then the gold in your life becomes pure. It becomes real. It becomes eternal. And the weight... Of that glory will sustain you no matter what you go through. But what we have is we have almost like a competition for who's going to be the holiest in the church. Oh, I can't believe they did that. Let me give you one more. Let me give you one more little ego statement that shows sinful pride. All right, so things happen to you. People... People mess up. People do things against you that they shouldn't do. Will you respond in glory emptiness or in glory fullness? So emptiness is this. I can't believe they did that to me. Because suddenly you realize, whoa, this is really very self-centered. Now, what would be a glory full way? Well, I can't believe they did that. Makes perfect sense. When someone does something wrong, you shouldn't go, hey, that's wrong, but it's good. (laughs) The Bible never says that dishonesty is going to bring you gloryfulness. It says really the opposite. It says honesty is how you get there. As a matter of fact, I believe humility is a radical form of honesty. So when someone hurts you, it hurts. You can't just go, by faith, it won't hurt. I mean, even if you, so interesting how people say if you have enough faith, you won't even get sick. I just punch them in the nose and say, if you have enough faith, that won't hurt. No, I don't, and I better quit saying that. I've never done that. We'll never do that, but trying to show the absurdity of such statements. Your faith, your faith is not the cause of your glory, Your faith is your access to your glory, not the cause of it. Here's what Jerry Bridges claims. God wants us to walk in obedience, not victory. Our problem, he explains, is that our attitude to to sin is more self-centered than God-centered. We are more concerned about our own victory over sin than we are about the fact that our sins grieve the heart of God. See, that's that key word again, God-centeredness. Pride isn't just a sin, it's part of the whole definition of sin. Recently, a leader got caught in lies that I I know of. He got caught in some pretty significant lies. Numerous people, out of love, called him on his lies. Finally, he admitted... That there was a problem. But here's what he said. Yes, I spoke some untruths, but they weren't lies. (laughs) I mean, isn't that the definition of lying? I mean, I can speak untruths, but they're not lies. Do you understand what pride does? Pride makes it to where I cannot be honest. Therefore, I cannot receive the fullness of forgiveness. This is so important to me that you get this. God wants you to know him fully. Totally. That's where the glory is, friends. But here's the thing. If you will continue in your pride, you will only see what your pride will tolerate seeing about God. So your pride may allow you to say, oh yeah, he's so forgiving. He's so merciful. Or because you're a legalist, you might say, yeah, God is so holy and God is so just that he's just going to wipe out this whole world. And either way, you see, either way, you're missing God. Because if all you see is this one little narrow strip of God, that's not God. That's your vision of God. That's your your willingness for God to at least show himself within your already preconceived notions. But here's this incredible doctrine that is throughout the scripture you can't divide God, it's called the doctrine of simplicity. That God is never not loving. He's never not holy. He's never not gracious and merciful. He's never not just and righteous altogether. His goodness is always goodness no matter what. But you see, you can't see that if you're saying, I'm just going to focus on on legalism. I'm going to focus on perfectionism. Or I'm going to focus on it's all okay because God's so forgiving. Either way, you're missing God because your pride is blinding you to God. But when we get humble and we go, I'm a mess, then you see you can go to God and say, God, you're holy, but you provided a holy sacrifice for me that is completely paying the price. And when you're trying your best out of Out of this sinful world, you're trying to be a pure and holy person. You say, but it's all out of grace. Even when I am winning, it's because of your glory, not mine. We operate from acceptance, not for acceptance. So humility is the secret To receiving grace. One of the writers, Miller, he's passed away, but he's the one who influenced so much uh, Tim Keller. And he wrote, Grace flows downhill. People used to talk about the higher life of sanctification, but what we really need is the lower life. We grow up into Christ by growing down in lowliness. To be exalted, we must go lower humbling ourselves, and leaving the lifting up to God. Is that not what James said? But you see, what is every dispute in relationship? What is every conflict in the church except someone saying, I should be higher than you? My opinion should be more important than yours. My sacrifice, my work should be more important than your work. And all of it is an indication of glory-hungry people who are glory empty and trying to run a church. This is the one place where we have to be people who realize we're all as bad as each other. There is level ground at the cross. We are equally in need of the same grace and mercy. You don't need more than I do. I don't need more than you do. We all need the same amount. Jesus didn't pay different prices. He paid one price. We were all so evil he had to die for us. And yet we are all so loved he chose to die for us. Do you not see as well that when you exalt a race of people over another race of people, That that is glory hunger expressing itself in glory emptiness. To declare that something about either my family, my race, my physical characteristics, my cultural characteristics in some way make me more deserving than you is to miss the whole point of the gospel. And it's to not be the church, but to be some Deviation. The only thing that the scriptures say is that we're all equally needy and we are equally loved. But you see, unless we humble ourselves, we'll look for glory somewhere that it's not to be found. And then we will join with others who who think that's the same glory. There is no glory in any of our cultures. There is no glory in any of our ethnicities. We are all broken. And the only place of glory is at the cross. Every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every nation must go to the cross. And here's the thing. In those last days when Jesus returns... No one will claim any glory whatsoever. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And yet, in heaven, this is so beautiful. God, who created diversity, God, who ordained cultures, has us all singing in our own tongues, will know tribes because our faces will be recognizable and the glory that was veiled here on earth will be revealed in heaven. So when we are the church here and we're diverse and we reflect different cultures and we reflect different ethnicities, we are a foretaste of what eternity's glory will be. And when we treat one another with love and we treat one another with dignity and we're willing to die for each other because you belong to me and I belong to you, we are a foretaste of heaven. And instead of glory empty, we become glory filled. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's tremendous difficulty I'm beginning to believe that we need to be lowly. Most of us are pretty uppity. (laughs) So what I've been doing is I give you a taste on Sunday. I unpack more of this all during the week because I really do want to unpack this. But here's the thing that I I want to explain to you very quickly and then we'll go into communion. You cannot receive the fullness of the grace that's waiting for you if you stay in pride. It's interesting sometimes how low you have to go before you realize that. But for me, it was that depression and it was that experience of depression And I didn't understand it at the time because I kept going, God, get me out of this depression, God. But do you know what he was doing? He put his hand on me and he pushed me to the ground. Because what had happened is I saw what could be every person healed, every person saved, every person filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought, look at my ministry. And I thought, Benny Hinn, here I come. And God said, I will not let you have the fullness of this gifting if you don't have the character for it. And so that day when he said, you stole my glory, he wasn't being mean to me. He was being kind to me. He was taking me from my high flying pride and grounding me in his glory. See, I was glory hungry, but I was still glory empty. And so today I'm asking you, whatever God's doing, you see, he's grounding you. He's trying to ground you in his glory so that you'll say, pride, you're no longer my protector or my provider. I don't need you because the very glory of God now lives inside of me. Ashley
1: will you stand with me this morning uh, we have the opportunity to take communion together and I think this is an appropriate response to this message and I'm going to invite you to take communion I'm not going to force you to take communion this is really a response that you get to make this morning it's really a tangible picture of us saying that we are glory empty and we are glory hungry. And the only thing that satisfies that hunger is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this is a tangible picture for us to taste and experience that together. I've used this illustration before, but um, communion is kind of like getting a care package from home. You know, when you're away somewhere, maybe you're at college and you get a box from home and it's filled with the things that remind you of home, that give you a taste of home. And what's beautiful this morning, at least in this place, in this room, is that we all have the same care package. Your box isn't bigger than my box. My box isn't smaller than yours. We all get to taste home this morning. Now, maybe if you're at home, you're having wheat thins. I don't know. But this morning we get to taste together, we get to drink together, we get to remind ourselves with this very practical, very tangible thing that the only thing that satisfies, the only thing that nourishes us is the presence of Jesus. And we get all of him. And so this morning, if you'd like to participate in communion and you have one of these, we're gonna start with the wafer. So we're gonna open that top part first are gluten free. nervous. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his closest friends, he gathered his family, and he sat with them and he had a meal with them, and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, "This bread represents my body. When you eat this bread, do it and remember me." So church, friends, Family, let's eat and taste and remember. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, This cup represents my blood blood shed for you, blood that's shed on the cross, so now there is nothing that separates you from the Father. You have full access, full rights as children of God when you receive the Son because of the blood on the cross. So when you drink this, when you taste it, when it sits on your tongue, would you taste and see that God loves you so much that he sent his Son to die for you? Let's drink this together and remember. Father, nothing satisfies like you. Our pride, the things that we even think that we're good at or that we deserve, nothing satisfies like you. Father, we thank you for this this tasting, this touch of heaven, of home, of this reminder of where we truly belong. Father, thank you for sending all of your son and all of your spirit to live in all of us. So we access the fullness of the Spirit today. We taste and we see that you are good. And we remind ourselves that nothing satisfies like you. You are the one that sustains, you are the one who fulfills, you are the one who nourishes us and makes us whole. So we remember together as your family, as your beloved, as your children as the ones that you gave up everything for so that we could have relationship with you. We say that we will go low so that you can go high. And we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray.